It's likely that at some point in your life, you've been asked to put time and energy into something you knew was a long shot. And when it's a family member asking for your support, it's even harder to say no. In this episode, we interviewed CEO of Still Austin Whiskey Company, Chris Seals. And about seven years ago, Chris was approached by his retired father to create a craft whiskey. But with Chris's experience as an economist specializing in feasibility studies, he looked at this venture as somewhat of a pipe dream. Fast forward to 2020, where Still Austin Whiskey just released their flagship bourbon, and Chris has now become a pioneer in the Texas whiskey scene. Tune in to hear Chris's story, as well as the ups and downs of starting the distillery, navigating business amidst the pandemic, and most importantly, how to properly taste a glass of whiskey. Enjoy. This is the What's Brewing ATX podcast, your one-stop shop for all things Austin, Texas. Hear from some of the top local business owners and those making a big impact in our community. From tips on the food and beverage scene to developments in the Austin real estate market, we've got you covered. And of course, we feature a local beer, wine, or spirit each week so you can get your little taste of what Austin has to offer. Welcome to What's Brewing ATX. Ian Grossman here next to Mr. Jonathan Ratcliffe. Yes, sir. Hello. We are pumped for today. We're also across the table from Mr. Chris Seals, hey. CEO of Still Austin Whiskey Company. We are at the distillery right now in one of their conference rooms, which I can't keep my eyes off of the bar that's how many bottles have we got over here? Maybe like a couple hundred. A couple hundred bottles of, of whiskey. What's their gin? I see a lot of good stuff over there. So we can get more into that later when you tell us some of your favorites. Absolutely. Um, but let's jump right into it. Thanks, guys. We want to hear me on. Yeah, we're, we're, we're excited to have you. Um, we want to hear, we always like to hear about our guests' story, the background, where, uh, what led you to this moment where we're sitting here today. At your distillery. Yeah, because right, right before we started this, he asked us for ours, so now we got to hear yours. My story? Yep. How did, I, how did I get to open a whiskey distillery? Yes. Let's hear it. Um, yeah, I mean, the I, my story, I think, is, uh, I don't know. I might be pretty common. I don't know. Um, I'm totally unqualified to open a craft whiskey distillery. Like, I didn't have any background in whiskey. I'm an economist. Uh, that's what I did before this. Okay. Um, I had a consulting business. <clears throat> and uh, about uh, now, it's hard to believe this. Like at, next year, it'll be eight years ago. Uh, so seven years ago, my dad uh, retired. And uh, he was going through like basically like a quintessential retirement crisis. Uh, like all of a sudden, like he's at home. He's driving my mom crazy. He doesn't know... <laughs> what to do with himself. He's, um, he's kind of bored. Uh, and he came to me and he said, I want to start a craft whiskey distillery. Will you help me? And what I did for a living before that was basically do feasibility studies. So (laughs) if, if you're going to, you know, spend a lot of money on building a bridge and engineers think it's going to cost $200 million, What's the chances that could be a $2 billion bridge? That, those chances. That's what I used to get hired to figure out. And literally looking at my dad's idea, it was, and, and I have seen a lot of feasibility studies. A, I, I've done a ton of them. Um, it was the worst idea that had ever come across my desk. It was 
bar none, the worst. So is this like he's on YouTube and just, you know, on his feed? He, he gets I, a video of, of opening a, a whiskey distillery? and No, I just think he liked <laughs> drinking it. He was like, I just want to stir the mash every day. I need something to do. Okay. And uh, so I, he, he said, okay, I want to start a whiskey distillery. And so I, I didn't want to break his heart. And I, I really liked that he came to me with it. And mm-hmm. so I was like, well, Dad, why don't, why don't we do this? Let's do a feasibility study on whether or not we should open a, a whiskey distillery. And we're definitely going to need to do some market research. And so I thought, you know, we're going we're gonna to drink a lot of whiskey together. We're going to travel. We're going to visit a lot of places. We're going to take some whiskey classes. We're going to have a lot of fun. Yeah. We're going to get my dad through his late life crisis. And then we're going to come to our senses. So for you, maybe it started off as just like, I'll spend time, spend time with dad and, you know. Yes. And drink whiskey. Absolutely. And, you know, the great thing about uh, feasibility studies is that it's true that 99% of good ideas are actually bad ideas. And you shouldn't do them. And so I knew that going in that, the, 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 you know, but there's no need to get to that conclusion too early, mm-hmm. right? We could probably take a year. And by that time, dad's like cruising. He's having fun. Distracted. He's just trying. He's got other things he wants to do. We've had fun. We've bonded. <laughs> We've had like our moment. And now, you know, we're ready to, you know, realize what a dumb idea this was. And uh, put it behind us. But what actually happened was in the middle of doing all that, state laws in Texas changed. And that made it more feasible to open a craft whiskey distillery. So we did. Interesting. So, I mean, w- at one point, and how many places did you say look at? Or, or how many tastings of, of whiskey did you have? And you were just like, wait a second. This might actually work. Like, Could do this. <laughs> um, well, I think my dad had had that in his mind, like from the beginning. I'd say, like, um, what was the moment when I thought it could work? Um, I mean, part of it was uh, we had like kind of an unusual thing happen to us that we went and took a whiskey class, and we it was in Washington <laughs> State, and um, we met people who are actually my neighbors. Uh, here in Austin, but we didn't know each other. And they had gone to Washington State to take a class because they were thinking of starting a whiskey distillery. You had no idea you were neighbors in Austin, Texas. Correct. And so it's like, we're we're thinking about starting a a distillery. Where where are you from? We're from Austin. No. Well, we're from Austin. Like, really? Anyway, so we we ended up kind of like hitting it off and got to be friends. And... Uh, so, uh, we had kind of a shared vision and it takes a lot of work to get one of these things started. Oh, yeah. So I think part of it was, you know, just seeing, you know, we're not going to necessarily be like on our own. We have like a team, uh, to kind of get started. And, um, I really, one of the things like, I mean, Texas is the largest market in the world for bourbon. Most of it's made, Mm. like 99% of it's made in Kentucky um, and Tennessee uh, for Tennessee whiskey. But we are the ones who drink a ton of it. Um, That makes sense. 
Um, and I just thought, you know, I think that the only reason that there's not a big bourbon industry in Texas is that until that year, the legislature just wouldn't allow it. So if that changed, then ostensibly Texans might like to drink something that's local. So was that the moment? It was it was just kind of fun, appeasing dad. And then when this happened, you were like, oh, shit. Yeah, I just thought, you know, and two, none of us quit our day jobs. We all like just, we yeah. were kind of doing this on the side. I've been, I kind of volunteered to be the unpaid CEO. Uh, eventually, they even paid me, uh, oh, wow. which is nice. But uh, um, the, it, it was just like one of these projects that we thought, okay, uh, and, you know, I was kind of being consultant, uh, you know, you always got a couple couple deals that you're working, and so just kind of this was my unpaid one, uh, and uh, we thought, well, maybe um, if other people think this is a good idea, um, if we can kind of raise a little bit of money, then maybe we could put it together. So we talked to a bunch of our people that we knew, people we didn't know that were Austin business people, and um, uh, a, a bunch of us uh, threw some money in a hat and thought, okay, well, I guess. Now we've got to do it. Um, and there was another, there was actually was one other moment that I think is probably worth mentioning uh, because it's now no longer involving a felony. Uh, and it was that um, we had gifted my dad, um, this is probably like two years before he kind of got the idea, we'd given, we'd given him an illegal still just to play with in the garage um, and my brother and I, and uh, he was having fun, you know, making illegal spirits in the garage um, okay. and um, moonshine moonshine. And <laughs> exactly, that's exactly what he was doing. And, um, but it's only illegal if um, you, get caught. you get caught. Exactly. <laughs> um, the, uh, it was a little bit unclear, like, you know, is it illegal to own a still? Is it illegal to make it? it? Is it, what if you're selling, if you're selling it, we knew for sure that was illegal. Yeah, yeah. But um, in the middle of all this, we got a letter from um, the uh, uh, Treasury Department. Um, and in it, they said, um, we know uh, through a, a lawsuit that we won, uh, that a, a lot of people have bought stills from this particular company, and we know you're one of them. And we're writing you to know, let you know, that the only reason you can buy a still is if you are legally starting a distillery. So your ownership of that still is a felony. And we are going to decide what we're going to do about that. We're going to, we're, we're not, we haven't decided, but just so you know, we know that you have one. Wow. And so we were like, well. well now I have to open one. <laughs> it would solve that problem. Sure. <laughs> if we actually, so we actually still have that little still today. That's awesome. Uh, so, yeah. Um, and so the, so it's now, it's officially registered. Uh, so it was, it was no longer, you know. Is it still at your dad's house or is it still Oh, no, it's here. here. Oh, you have to have it here at the distillery. Okay. Um, so. Uh, yeah, it's uh, we don't use it uh, very much anymore. But the, it was it it um, it got us out of trouble. So uh, yeah, and I guess maybe kind of got us into trouble with making sure making whiskey. So nice. So I guess tell us then how we arrived to still Austin. Um, 
And then, you know, how that evolved over the course of how long has it been now? Um, we have been around now for, for seven years. Uh, okay. so the, um, well, we, you know, it's like really hard when you're starting up to, when you're the, you know, we were the first of our type of distillery, um, here in Austin. So you have to kind of think about, um, what, what are you going to do? Um, and you're not trying to be different from someone else cause there's no one else. So you're really trying to kind of be yeah. your own thing. And so it's not like you're setting yourself apart from some competition down the road. It's exactly. Like, and there's no, there was no one in Austin that's doing it. No one, uh, no, no, we had a vision to be in, in Austin, in the city limits, be an urban, uh, whiskey distillery. Mm-hmm. And so for us, um, there's a couple things that we really decided to focus on. One was being super authentic to our place, placing a value on our region. Um, one thing that we did, um, and we were, now this has become a trend, which we're really excited for other people to be doing it as well, but we sourced uh, 100% of our grains from farmers here in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, we chose grain varieties that were part of our region, not the same things they use in Kentucky. Um, right. uh, they they tend to use a lot of yellow corn that's part of the main production of the Ohio Valley. And we used white corn, which is more like our Tex-Mex culture here. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, corn chips and corn tortillas tend to have uh, white corn that's kind of more part of our region. Mm-hmm. And so, and it gives a different flavor to the whiskey. Uh, so we chose local grain varieties. And um, we, because this was kind of like a little bit of a legacy project, we were like, you know, we're not trying to make money quickly here. We're trying to make the best that we can. And yeah. so... Um, we are still is something that's kind of unusual. Um, it's the only still made, there's a company, there's maybe four companies in the world that can make a still like ours, but ours is made by a company called Forsyth's, uh, and they're from, they're in Roths, uh, Scotland. And, uh, they are the, uh, they've been around longer than any other still manufacturer. They've been around a long, long time. Uh, they don't know quite how long, but, um, it's, it's quite, it, it's more than 200 years, but they don't know how long. Wow. Um, so they've been around a long time and, uh, we, we worked with Mike Delavante, who's the most experienced distiller working in North America. He worked, it's hard to, it's hard to say this, like, and, and be, you know, so sort of mind boggling, but he has 60 years of professional experience in distilling. So long. Did he start when he was wow. five years old? No <laughs> He's old. Um, the, he ran, he opened Appleton Rum uh, uh, in uh, the Caribbean. He's a Jamaican white guy. He's very funny. Okay. Uh, you can barely understand what he says. But uh, if he writes it down, you can learn a lot from him. And, <laughs> um, uh, but we worked with Mike, and we said to him, we, we met him through a friend, and we said, you know, we were wanting to bring out the flavor from our local grain. And um, he said, well, if you want to do that, you're going to have to build the best craft distillery that's ever been built. And we were like, you're hired. It's perfect. Let's do it. It's exactly what we want. And so um, he said, well, and he kind of eventually led us to working with Forsyth's to build uh, what is still today the only, uh, there's two types, two major types of stills for making bourbon. 
um, almost all of it is made on a column still. 99.999% of all bourbon is made on a column still. But we have the only column still that is made by Forsyth uh, in the United States. Oh, wow. And it's a very special still because it's got a lot of additional um, bells and whistles uh, that really help us to bring out the flavors from our local grain uh, in, a, in, in a way that we really we, we love. Yeah. Um, it's come together really well. And so um, uh, it took a couple of years to order, manufacture, bring over the still, build this facility, and then install it and begin to produce. And then a couple of years of producing bourbon uh, to be able to get it to the maturation that we felt like we could begin to release some. So. Wow. That's, uh, that's a, it's not a overnight thing by any means. And, and in fact, not even a normal business would, would, I guess typically it'd be a year, two years and you kind of rock and roll. And this is like almost five years of. Yeah. It's typical for like a, it, an authentic bourbon distillery usually cannot turn a profit in its first decade. So what's like the minimum amount of time, you know, when you have to age or you put the, the whiskey in the barrels when you said it has to mature, what is that? Is there like a minimum time where you need to wait or is it just kind of depends on a lot of factors? I'm sure. Um, the maturation is a product of the weather. And so you kind of think about it this way in, in a colder climate, the whiskey kind of just sits still in the barrel. It doesn't, in a warmer climate, the whiskey will get warm. It'll expand. It'll kind of press into the oak. Hmm. Um, in a place where you have more cycles of heat and cool, you'll have a more active maturation. Huh. That's part of why scotches tend to be you know, 10 to 18 years of maturation. But in Kentucky bourbon, you typically have maybe four to six years. Compare that with like Jalisco, Mexico, where you have like a Reposado tequila in, you know, six months. So the maturation tends to be a function of, you know, does it get warm and cold a lot? And in that case, you have more active maturation. Um, it, it also, um, there's three processes that happen in maturation. One is the, this extraction process that I was just talking about, like where it's going in and out of the oak. Mm -hmm. um, there is a, a process, an esterification process, but it's like the process that maybe makes things that in, initially kind of taste like caramel corn, taste more like a refined caramel over time. Um, and then there's an oxidation process, which makes the whiskey smooth. So it's not like hot, like a vodka can be, like where yeah. it slaps your tongue. It's yeah. like, oh yeah, this is nice. This mm -hmm. kind of has a silkiness to it. Um, so those three things are happening together um, in the in the barrel all at the same time. And in in Texas, like in Texas whiskey, what we're finding um, in our uh, you know, it, there's like it's like 400 years of tradition in in uh, Scotch. Uh, there's almost a thousand years of tradition in Cognac and Armagnac. Mm -hmm. Um, there's 200 years of tradition in bourbon making in Kentucky. And in, here in Texas, we've got a solid 10 years yeah. of experience. Wow. Right? Uh, so it's very, very young industries. So we're still kind of learning. It's cool. You're, you guys are like the pioneers. Yeah. We're just, we, yeah. It's like, it, yeah, we're, we're, 
pioneers and also kind of we 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 make a we make plenty of mistakes, right? Because we're a young industry here. Um, you get to learn from all the others as well, right? So, I mean, yes, but their climates are different. Okay, and so the we're still having to learn about like our our region. Yeah, um, and. Gotcha. A really well-made product will give you a sense of the place and the region, and uh, if it's very, very well made, it'll also give you a sense of the people uh, and kind of what what those people are like. And you can kind of get that from you know Scotland and the Scottish traditions and that sort of thing. And so there's there's Texas traditions that are kind of going into the making of Texas bourbon, and um, uh, so uh, the the sh the short answer to your question is, it takes, you know, about two years to feel like you've got a, a basic level of maturation that is of excellent quality. Um, but what we have found here is that we have to do some things to intentionally slow down uh, the maturation. Okay. Because otherwise it happens too quick and it results in whiskeys that have a, a, like a very heavy oak uh, flavor to mm. them. They can, they can taste like a number two pencil. You know, yeah. We don't like that flavor. Not one of the <laughs> tasting notes that you, that you want to find. <laughs> exactly. We don't like that. Um, uh, and so, uh, one of the things that we do that's special is, um, we use a technique that we learned from our master blender, uh, Nancy Fraley. Uh, it's a very slow reduction of the spirit while it's in the barrel. Uh, so what we literally do is we'll take the barrel off the rack each month. Um, we'll add a little bit of water to it, and then we'll put it back on the rack. And what's a little like a a cup of water, like a drop, a drop uh, of water, a, a cup of water, okay. um, a couple cups maybe. It just depends how much has evaporated and how it's maturing. We may we may like the way it's maturing and leave it that way, mm -hmm. um, but. What that does, uh, alcohol is a good solvent, but what it extracts will change based on the concentration of the alcohol. So if you have a lot more alcohol than water in a distillate, you'll get more alcohol solubles out of the oak. And then as if if you if you have you know kind of add a little bit of water to it over time, it will become more more of a water based distillate. And you'll get more water extractables out of the oak. So early on, you'll get more oak tannins and set up some of the, the the things that you normally associate with an oaky flavor. Mm -hmm. But if you bring that proof down, you can arrest the extraction of oak tannins and increase the extraction of oak sugars uh, that are water soluble, like the vanillin and some aspects of that you typically associate with more mature. Uh, uh, whiskeys or bourbons. And so uh, by slowly doing that, then each month you add another layer of flavor and you slow down some aspects of the maturation to give yourself more time <laughs> and sure. let the spirit really mature. So the uh, um, it's a very hands-on process. It's super labor-intensive. Uh, there's hardly anyone in the world that does it. Uh, and it, we learned it from Nancy cause she's a, she's what's called a musketeer of Armagnac, uh, which is one of these like 12 people in the world that are, 
qualified to uh, master blend Armagnac, which is the oldest aged distilled spirit in the world. Okay. Uh, so she, she's she's something special. She's awesome, by the way. She's like incredible. She's very tough. Um, she's a, she she runs our quality control. It, it won't get released until it gets past. If, if, if it gets past, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. Trust so, it. So yeah, um, she's, that's insane. She's, you must have. I mean, just talk about jumping off the deep end. Like when you first started, you, it's like, oh, sure, I'll have a whiskey, right? I mean, yep. were you much of a whiskey drinker, or I was. Okay. I love whiskey. I yeah, love yeah. bourbon, but the but you didn't know the history and all the details about it like that. I didn't know anything of the technical aspects of how to make okay. it, uh, and so. We've tended to rely <laughs> on um, uh, people who have lots of experience, yeah. but we're all in kind of an endeavor together to make something that is very special from Austin, Texas, mm. and gives you a sense of who we are and what makes us unique. So much fun. It's awesome. And it's, I mean, just to think so long term like that, you know, it's, it's not going to be a five-year, ten-year thing. We're we're starting something that a hundred years from now, you know, like that's so cool. Exactly. exactly. Um, so with with COVID and everything shaking this shaking this year up, uh, and I'm sure, I guess this is a two-part question. First, what does the model look like um, now that you have the distillery and you know you've you've made the bourbons? You know, are you, were you selling? Initially, just right out of here, were you selling into stores? Um, what did that look like? And and how do you see that going forward? Uh, and then also, how has this year changed with COVID and everything? Yeah, um, <clears throat> when you start a whiskey distillery, you you every year look forward to that year when you're going to release. You finally reach that moment. Yeah. You're ready to release your flagship product and. Let it, let her go into the world. And maybe there were some moments where you were like, "Oh shit, maybe we're never going to release." Right? <laughs> there, <laughs> yes, you have those every year as well, because okay. uh, you, there's something going wrong all the time. So, um, but our year happened. So you have like dreams of like you know the you know that you will have people at a big gathering to get to first taste launch this party and and all. Yes, yeah, so. Um, so we were very um, uh, lucky, uh, unlucky. Uh, you know, nothing ever happens like you think. But um, we're in the year where you can't have events. In fact, uh, there's only four ways that we uh, we share our uh, bourbon with people and introduce people to um, our pride and joy, uh, our tasting room, which was uh, closed. Um, we have uh, events, uh, which we can't do. Um, we had... Um, uh, bars, which were also closed. And mm -hmm. um, we have uh, where we do a little tasting at a liquor store, which was illegal. So all four mm -hmm. of our main ways of releasing our, our seven years of hard work uh, into the world were pretty much gone. So you're this is the year that you were really launching. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. This is yeah. the year. You're, you're saying that when you were business planning seven years ago, you didn't put, <laughs> put release our flagship Amidst a pandemic. Amidst a <laughs> pandemic, exactly. So we had to really think about like what we we're going to do um, and kind of re rethink it a lot. And um, we really, um, this was a really a, a very special year uh, for us because like we had to kind of decide what does the package look like, what is the 
what what is everything and it really brought us back to our roots again of why we did this it's to give a sense of who we are as people mm -hmm. not not chris seals and his dad but we as texans as austinites mm -hmm. who are we uh this is a product that's an ambassador of us to the world for anyone to enjoy and give a sense that we can of some, something about us that they can be proud of and so um I, I it ended up just being a year of remembering that and focusing on us and our people um and so we actually went to Mark Burkhart, uh, he, he's here in Austin, but he's an artist. Uh, he was the Texas state artist. Um, uh, so he just like, if, if a state, if the state does like a commission of the, let's do a painting of the governor or whatever. He's, he's that guy. Um, but we asked him to do for us a series of portraits of Austinites that could give a sense of who we are. And uh, we gave him a lot of license. Uh, he's an incredible artist. Um, uh, but we asked him, uh, what we wanted to do was uh, create a mythology of who we are. And we thought he did a beautiful job focusing on one part of our community, which is our musicians. And, and I'm looking at the picture right now. <laughs> yeah, it's it, and it even became the name of the product, the musician. And um, like the thing that I always love about musicians is that they're people that are taking a risk in something that they believe in and are very proud of um they're they're scared it's hard to like leave behind the safeties of jobs and things like that yeah. which you guys know as well as mm -hmm. entrepreneurs um and but what they're gonna they, they feel this need to share what they have and they have to do it and they hope that you're going to love what they made and I, that spirit of the musician is something that just inspires the hell out of me and so uh, and I, a lot of musicians here in Austin that I just absolutely love and that is part of our story of who we are as Austinites and um uh, over the next couple of years, there'll be a couple of other releases that'll come along that will also tell part of our story. Uh, and Mark's doing a couple of uh, a couple of different uh, portraits uh, of Austinites that'll kind of give you a little bit more color on who we are. So very in, cool. So in this in this uh, picture, the label on your flagship, um, the musician, is she? I know it's up for interpretation, but is she? playing the is she playing music or is like the it seems like her hair is kind of the guitar yeah she's kind of playing her own hair isn't she yeah yeah <laughs> um it is up for interpretation i i think that mark uh um did a beautiful job i mean she's 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 um it's a beautiful painting uh just objectively um it is a little bit mis mystical uh, it is. It's, it's mm -hmm. unusual. The red bird. What's the significance there? People ask us about the red bird all the time, and I, I ask Mark, "Why did you paint a, a red bird?" And I think it's just kind of become like a symbol. Uh, symbols, of course, always have like meanings that people associate with them, but you can't usually dissect that meaning. But it is different. Yeah, and it is. One of the things that I think is special about Austin, Texas, is that who you are, whoever you are, 
is great. And the more independent and different you are and confident in yourself, the better. That's awesome. Like mm -hmm. who you are is what we love. And you do not typically see a red bird. There are, there are red birds. There's actually five different types of red birds that live here in Texas, but that's not part of the story. It's just unusual. It it's not out. like a hawk or something that you see flying around all over the place. Right. Or a bat. Yeah. Yeah. No, we didn't want to be like kitschy, but the, um, and we didn't, this, this was Mark's expression. Having tasted the bourbon, one of the things that, uh, from a flavor standpoint that people have said about it is, um, that it is fairly soft. Um, like it, it, it has uh, a roundness to it and it has something that's very desirable. This concept of finesse. Yeah. It kind of takes you on a little journey, um, like listening to a musician. And I think that is part of what he experienced and why he chose the musician as the uh, subject uh, for the first label painting. So so let's get into that a little bit, the flagship, the, the taste. Um, you poured some whiskey for us. We're both drinking it neat. Jonathan's got a block of ice, um, which is kind of melted down it now. It is melting, yeah. <laughs> but... I think for me, I mean, I still never get it when I go to wineries or, or breweries or distilleries. Um, I always have a hard time really becoming an quote-unquote expert in it. But give the list, give us and give the listeners your kind of take on how in the world do we taste whiskey? You know, are we smelling it? Are we sticking our nose in it? How long do we let it sit in our mouth? Walk us through what to do so we can feel the finesse. Absolutely. So uh, if you just take the glass and uh, if you turn it a little bit to the side, uh, you know, like a lot of times with wine, you can you can kind of turn it and check out the legs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just kind of pretty to look at the color, uh, which is really nice. Um, but if you'll smell with the glass turned and position your nose close to the bottom of the glass and then move your nose up to the top of the glass, just smell it. Now do the same thing with your mouth wide open. You catch something different with your mouth open? I told you I'm never good at this. It's okay. I don't, but that's because I've never, I've never been able to. I guess it's, it's not as, the only thing I can think of is with your nose, when you're doing it, your mouth is closed. It's pretty strong, whereas mm -hmm. without it, it seems to be. Just exactly. A soother, more soothing. I don't know. You usually can smell it. more with your mouth open. Um, okay. And um, most people don't naturally do it, but uh, it's one of these things that Nancy uh, taught me was just leave your mouth open, and you'll be able, you'll be in a better position to be able to pick out notes that are in the whiskey. It'll smell a little different at the top of the glass than at the bottom. Yeah. Uh, different. Um, alcohols uh, that are uh, vaporizing and coming off so you'll pick up different notes that way so what do you guys advertise as far as tasting notes the in this? tasting notes the um if you take a little sip the official uh tasting notes on the nose um there's like um basically everything that goes into a s'mores uh, there's a little graham cracker, little, some confectionery kind of chocolate, little toasted notes to it. Um, 
might be able to pick up like uh, kind of toasted coconut um, as yeah. well, toasted marshmallow. Uh, but almost everything that kind of goes into s'mores is there on the nose. It's just like wine drinking. I, I, until you say it, you know, I don't know. But mm-hmm. then when you say it, like, oh, okay, I can see that. The Girl Scout cookie Samoa, not the, yeah, the little Samoas. Samoas, yeah. yeah. You get this little note of Samoas there. Um, on the uh, flavor, though, like when I taste it, the it has a healthy amount of rye in it, which is kind of a spicy grain. And um, it reminds me a lot of, my mom used to always make uh, French toast for us for breakfast. Mm-hmm. And so it was like kind of like this egg custard kind of, taste to the um that kind of texture i guess and then uh, cinnamon and um it, it kind of all comes together with a sweetness a spice and and a softness as well like in the mouthfeel yeah. uh and so i kind of get a little bit of french toast uh <laughs> note on i don't know if you guys can taste that on the whiskey so do you think the way that the, the tastes that come out of this with the um using the white corn mm-hmm. someone who has a lot of experience in tennessee making bourbon or no sorry uh in kentucky mm. but you can what am i both yeah oh, yeah ten, i'm thinking tennessee, tennessee whiskey, whiskey and, and then kentucky bourbon kentucky bourbon would they taste this and be like something's off like would they be able to taste that difference in corn like is it is, is this a much different taste it is um it it is within the same uh, body. It has no faults. Like every, all of our spirits are completely faultless. Uh, so it doesn't have like an off taste. Like you say off taste, it usually means that it has the whiskey or the bourbon has a fault in it. Yeah. Um, ours, ours has no faults whatsoever. But the um, what you get is kind of – this is what I think. Um, so this is not what I hear, but this is my, my frame of reference. When – and it – I'm going to tell like a little side story and then I'll come back and I'll answer your question really directly. But I used to live in the Philippines and when I lived there, uh, I was teaching and my mom sent me, um, some sugar cookies, uh, and, uh, uh some chocolate chip cookies and things like that. And so I brought them for my class, uh, for them to eat them. And so I was like, they are going to freaking love these. Um, they didn't really have like wheat there. Everything's rice based. So, um, I thought they're going to freaking love this. So I, so I like get at the end of the class, get the cookies. These came from my mom. She made them. And so, and, and the, the kids go up and they get them and they put them in their mouth and they eat them and they start spitting them out because oh they hated gosh. them. They were like, this is so <laughs> disgusting. No, no, it was the most tragic thing ever. Cause oh these were God. so awesome. They're so delicious. And sacred to your heart. I, yeah, <laughs> sacred, exactly. And these kids, they absolutely hated them, uh, and they spit them out on the ground. And I was like, why? Why did they do that? There's something about us that gets set in our brain from the time that we're little tiny kids. We start to eat certain things that are part of our home. Mm-hmm. And those things begin to feel comforting and they feel like home. They feel like our place and who we are. This yeah. is all, like all those things kind of begin to, you know, that it's hard to separate your mom from her cooking, right? Or you, your, your, your family gatherings from those meals yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And so um, these people had never tasted 
the things from my place. Mm -hmm. But this bourbon is made from the things that are of our place. A lot of bourbons taste interesting. And you hear that from people. Mm -hmm. Oh, that, that's interesting. And it's kind of a nice way of saying, I don't know that I'd do it again, but it wasn't that bad. Yeah. yeah. What I hear most often from people that taste our bourbon is, I love this. And I think the reason why is because it's native to us. Yeah. It came from our place. It's part of the same corn that we grew up eating if we ate tacos. It's part of the same <laughs> things. And, and I don't know anybody in Austin, Texas that doesn't eat a taco, but uh, or doesn't like them. And uh, it, the, the rye in it, um, which, which is, it's of our place, but it also is part of our culinary scene to have things that are sweet and spicy. Uh, sweet and spicy is like our barbecue. Mm -hmm. Sweet and spicy is our Tex-Mex. Mm -hmm. um, our bourbon is, it's kind of sweet and spicy. It has that, it's not like Mexican food, but it's, it has that combination of sweet spice that is very familiar to Texas and our palate. Um, and you don't have the, you don't have that as much like in, in other parts of the country and so, or of the world. And so, uh, what we hear most often is, I just absolutely love this. I love it. They can't necessarily say why, yeah. but I think it is because it is native. That's interesting. I, I understand the reference. Uh, my girlfriend's Swedish, and she likes two things that are very weird to me. Salt licorice, like like very, very salty licorice. Like when I put it in my mouth, I'm like, how can you possibly eat this? And two, liver paste, liver paste is what they call it. And they put it on toast in the morning or whatever and then they put other weird things on it pickles and stuff and it's just like this like super it's like eating tuna fish out of a can doesn't sound, worse. Yeah, it does not sound <laughs> but she like dies for it and i'm like wow and then i go with her to sweden last year and everybody's eating, eating that it. and i'm like ah it's exactly just, yeah it makes sense though and i love the the way you explain that in such a sophisticated way so thank you uh, the uh, well, I've had seven years to think about. It, so. <laughs> Fair enough, a lot of time. Um, okay, so I guess then you you mentioned earlier on that you have some. It's been a, a rocky year with launching things. Now, can you get this in a store? You can. Um, you can find it just about anywhere in Austin. Okay, uh, you can find it at Total Wine, at Specs, yep. at Twins. Um, a lot of our uh, favorite uh, local liquor stores, uh, Austin Shaker and um, uh, Oak Liquor Cabinet, and a lot of the uh, South Lamar Liquor, and all of the. There's so many phenomenal um, local, uh, family owned, uh, individually owned uh, liquor stores, and we try to work with those as much as we possibly can. Yeah. Um, we um, we've really been uh, surprised at how well it has done. We recently looked at like how we're doing it. If you, it's hard to believe this, but and it's really a function of the people of Austin just like embracing us, which is really like after all this hard mm -hmm. work, it's really exciting to see. Um, but um, we, if if we continue to do as well as we've been doing, which is kind of surprising to us because we have almost no way of being able to share with people about the bourbon, um, uh, it will end up being uh, the most uh, successful launch 
of a bourbon in Texas of any place. Uh, wow. A, a lot, successful launch of a bourbon in Texas uh, uh, since uh, at least in the last 10 years, uh, which is really well, It exciting. sounds like that's a testament to the, the hard work, the detail, the patience with everything. So what's the, what's the price point in the stores? And if you can maybe give us like when, when people come, when people came here before, cause you guys have been open for a few years, mm -hmm. tasting room, you couldn't get bourbon. No, mm -mm. Uh, so, but now you can, now, now you, you can. can. Um, uh, it, it, we, uh, you, I think you'll find it in stores for somewhere around $40. Okay. It could be as much as 45 if it is, and it's a local liquor store then support it. Yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, it, it, you might find it for 38 you know, the, the liquor stores set their own prices. Uh, you can always find it at the distillery, uh, which we're located near South Congress and St. Elmo, uh, right here in South Austin, about uh, three miles south of the capital, mm -hmm. and um, the uh, I forgot the rest of your question. It's, uh, you ask about price, and then you ask about price, and then um, I guess before. Well, well, now now it's available to to taste in your tasting room. Yes, you can taste it anytime in the tasting room. Um, the um, the uh, a lot of the uh, uh, it, it's taking a little while because bars have st are still trying to recover, but a lot of the local uh, uh, bars and restaurants have picked it up as well. So you should be able to order a glass uh, around town uh, and give it a try. A, a, a musician, old fashioned. A musician, old fashioned. Absolutely. And, and more, more to come. More varieties to come. Um, the musician is our our main focus. Um, uh, right now, we have a 100% rye whiskey, okay. uh, which is going to come out here, and then we, it, in sometime in the next year or two, uh, and uh, we have some things that we have been working on for quite some time uh, with grains that haven't been grown in Texas in over a hundred years. Oh. Um, and those will be the basis for a centennial uh, whiskey project cool. that no one in Texas has tasted in over 100 years. But that is still probably at least four or five years away okay. uh, from reaching. It takes many years of working with the, you, know, you only start off with uh, less than a one inch square of, of uh, heritage grain and eventually uh, grow enough seasons of that. This year will be the first year that we have. Last year we had a, a, a harvest that was big enough to get to a commercial harvest this year. Okay. Um, and uh, so we'll begin actually working with those grains uh, in whiskeys um, uh, in 2021. And so we have some things that are with uh, other varieties of corn, um, uh, red, two different types of red corn. We have a Jimmy Red corn and a, a, a Bloody Butcher red corn, huh. a oh. great name, uh, Oaxacan green corn and Aztec black corn. And so we've got a couple different uh, uh, specialty things that we put together in um, a, a distillery reserve series that we release as we have like a special, uh, something special happen. We'll release those kind of from time to time. We maybe we'll do... Uh, three or four of those a year at the distillery. Nice. Um, so, but the uh, the musician is uh, kind of our pride and joy right now. Yeah. We're really, really proud of. Savor her. the moment. Yeah. 
She's very easy to find too. Uh, when you're on the whiskey aisle, you'll see like Jack and Jim and Elijah and a lot of lot yeah. of it a very male dominant um, aisle. Yeah. But there'll be one lady on the aisle. Yeah. Yeah. And that'll be the musician. Playing so, playing her, her hair music. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So can you give us a quick elevator pitch for people to come to your distillery, what they're going to see if there's food trucks, what the experience is like? Right now, uh, during COVID, uh, we've been uh, uh, focusing on our whiskey garden, which is outdoors. Uh, we have uh, uh, all the precautions to kind of keep everybody safe, uh, so you can come in and, and taste. We have a we have a food trailer uh, with a bearded baker, uh, which they make um, uh, <clears throat> all sorts of things, but they they make some cookies that are made with our uh, spent mash that are pretty delicious. Um, and the thing I would encourage people to do is go on the tour, hmm. uh, sign up for the tour and go on the tour. The tour is phenomenal. You'll learn all about how we make it and it's a lot of fun. Um, so we need to do that. Well, next we time. haven't done the tour, so maybe we'll have to come back next Absolutely. week or sometime. Yeah, to do for sure. the tour. Yeah, awesome. the tour is pretty fun. Cool. Cool. Well, any f- parting words? You, you gave us a lot of great info about the distillery. I mean, the, the technical side of creating whiskey creating bourbon is definitely over my head but it's very interesting you clearly had to do some research and continued you will have to continue to do that i mean the just to hear about the the different grains that have not been here for over 100 years that's i i don't even know where to find that information you know (laughs) we learn something new every day for sure and that's been a uh that particular project the 1919 grains project uh is that's been a really fun and interesting one and we've got a partner um uh uh, that we've a farmer that's uh, worked quite a bit with us uh and a couple of other partners in that project uh that are interested in uh, helping to rebuild a local grain economy uh, here in Texas. And I think that you ask about like parting uh, words. I, I just, I, I would say thank you for supporting local. Um, uh, you guys are small business people here in Austin. We have that uh, spirit of uh, keeping our city weird, keeping us uh, independent. And um, I just, I'm really thankful for all of the folks that have decided to stop uh or to take a detour from maybe their regular go-to whiskey to uh support a local whiskey distillery um and i would uh if i was going to make an ask i would say support all local whiskey distilleries here in texas uh we are all working super hard to make something that is a representation of our place the pioneers the pioneers the the little red bird (laughs) (laughs) love it well Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast episode with Chris Seals, CEO of Still Austin Whiskey Company. Um, be sure to come visit their tasting room. Chris mentioned, so it's over at the yard, which is a little complex with, it's kind of an industrial feel. There's breweries, distilleries, gyms, coffee shop. Um, so come to the yard. It's at 440 uh, East St. Elmo, South Austin, uh, right off South Congress. Be sure to check them out on Instagram at still underscore ATX. And while you're there, make sure you give us a follow at What's Brewing ATX. Remember to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you tune into your podcast from. And Jonathan, would we love a five-star rating or what? Yeah, I think so. If you liked our episode with with Chris, be sure to hit us with that five-star rating. And that's all we got for you. Thanks, Chris. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers, you guys.